No. Okay. WMNF 88.5. First of all, that what you are doing is, is monumental. And this is not easy. And you all are literally, with this show, you have literally created something out of nothing. And everybody can do that. What I think is so unique about you all is that when I'm listening to you all, because there are things that I don't know about your world, you all have a wholly different kind of conversation. You have no ideas what your conversation feels like to my ears. It's so different. Because I don't have the opportunity and hear how you guys philosophize about reality. This is the only place that I get that in my entire life. What you do is significant because I'm not alone in it. A whole lot of folk over 40 years of age don't have that experience. Their kids are out of the house and grown. When I think of you, I think of you all as giving us a perspective on popular culture. Not just what's happening, because entertainment tonight will tell us what's happening, but you are also giving us perspective on how it impacts real people's lives. And that's the qualitative difference in what you're doing. You're about to listen to the Urban Cafe. Good morning. Good morning, Tampa Bay. This is Mr. Chapman here with the Urban Cafe, 88.5 WMNF. Our regular host, Mr. Joshua Rivera, is out. <laughs> However, he has graciously called in to assist me with starting off the show. How are you doing there, sir? Doing good, doing good. Good morning, Tampa Bay. It's uh, it's funny being on the other side here uh, through the phone. I don't think I've ever done this, actually. That's pretty oh. funny. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you very well, sir. So, I was going to ask, where, where are you at? Because I see you couldn't make it in this Sunday. Um, yeah, but- uh, well, first of all, I want to thank you, Jamal, for taking the show. I uh, really appreciate that. And uh, I just want to remind our listeners, we actually have Dr. Wills on today. Um, May is Mental Health. Uh, month and uh, as our regular listeners will remember, uh, we have a regular monthly mental health segment. Uh, the doctors in the house, uh, and then today, so doc- Dr. Wills is going to be on the show in a little bit to talk about uh, mental health, mental health awareness. Uh, it's going to be a great show, great conversation with Dr. Wills. She's always so informative and just um, bringing great information and, um, you know, just a great public service to our community and our listeners. So I'm really excited to hear what she has to say. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, but going back mm-hmm. to your question, Jamal, mm-hmm. I'm actually in Panama City right now. I uh, uh, Some of our longtime listeners will probably remember that I do these kind of long-distance crazy events called uh, triathlon. And uh, so I had a triathlon yesterday in Panama City. And so that's why I'm up here. Oh, nice, man. Nice. So a triathlon, what what does that, does that consist of? So um, essentially, um, it's a swim, a bike, and a run uh, in that order. And so it just depends on the distances uh, that you're doing. So there's different types of distances, um, shorter distances for more novice folks or folks who don't want to train for the longer distances. Um, so it's like it starts off with a sprint. And then there's an Olympic distance, which is called an Olympic for because that's the distance they actually do in the Olympics, which um, uh, right now uh, looks like we may still have the Tokyo Olympics this summer, uh, the ones that were rescheduled because of COVID last, last summer. Oh, and uh, so the Olympic distance, and actually there's a really famous race in St. Petersburg called uh, St. Anthony's Triathlon, mm-hmm. and that's been going on for over 40 years, and it's actually... An Olympic, well, one of the races distances they have is an Olympic distance, and it's a really 
famous race in St. Pete. So if you ever are interested are interested in in, in that kind of um, scene, or, or you want to, you've never seen a triathlon, you want to see what a, what a triathlon looks like. I would encourage you to go check out St. Anthony. This year, it's actually going to be in October. It's typically in April. Um, begin, begin, but again, because of COVID, you know, everything gets swapped out, right? right. So, um, so the the Olympic distance is 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 um, is a it's like a thousand meter swim, I believe. Then a forty kilometer bike ride, which is twenty four miles. And then 24.6 miles, and then a uh, 10k run, uh, a 10 kilometer run, which is 6.2 miles. And so the distances in an Olympic are in metrics because that's what the rest of the world uses, right? <laughs> so, uh, and so I think that's kind of funny. But yeah, that's a really good race, a real good local race, and a lot of professionals actually uh, go there. And it's actually a qualifying race for the USA triathlon team which goes and competes uh, at the um, Olympic level. So it's a really good race to see some top-notch, um, you know, athletes out there. They're just killing it with these times. And then, so that's the Olympic distance. And then the next distance up is the one I did yesterday, which is what they call a half distance. So it's a 70, the total mileage is 70.3 miles. So it's a 1.2-mile swim, uh, okay. which in this case was in the ocean in Panama City. Beautiful morning mostly, I mean, there were some waves, but it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of chop, you know, it was really nice. There were some jellyfish and saw some schools of fish and whatnot, but, uh, it was really beautiful. You didn't see any barracudas, um, did you? You know what? It's hard to say. I, I know I saw something big, bigger, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember I just one time out. I was in Mexico in Cancun and saw some barracudas and I, I tried to figure out where the boat was at. Real quick, <laughs> immediately, right? I, yeah, I'm going to talk to Doctor Wills because I, yeah, I have that caused some mental health issues. I think for myself, <laughs> well, because being from, I mean, I know you're from Puerto Rico, and a lot of Floridians are used to the water. Um, being not from somewhere that has water that you, you know, swim in prevalently or are in and out or you know involved with, it's it's kind of intimidating. I, I actually yesterday I went um, kayaking in the Hillsborough River. Oh, that's um, cool. With some friends, and I, because they were saying, well, this is going to be different than some of the other rivers. It, it actually moves a little bit. I didn't realize, I guess, the Hillsborough River, you know, is that choppy at times. But yeah, it definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely moves a little bit. Well, I'm glad you did excellent with your race there, sir. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I didn't finish. It. Let me finish the, okay. uh, the distance piece. So okay. basically, so the 1.2 mile swim, and then uh, it's a 56 mile bike. Uh, for those of you who know the Panama City area, the majority of it is on Route 79. Mm-hmm. And then after the 56-mile bike, you do a 13.1-mile uh, run. Mm-hmm. So, And that, that completes the whole 70.3 distance. So it's quite a bit, but it's super, it's super exciting to be a part of it. And, mm-hmm. I mean, there was, uh, you know, 70-year-olds in the field doing this distance. Oh, wow. uh, pretty amazing. The winner finished in like three hours and fifty one minutes, which is just insane. That <laughs> so, is insane. Um, wow. But yeah, it's it's really really cool. It's, it's a even though triathlon is like an individual sport, mm-hmm. it's really a community based uh, sport. Like everybody's rooting everybody else on. You know, the pros are rooting the amateurs. The amateurs are rooting the pros. Uh, you know, when you're running, you know you're you're running next to everybody and just cheering everybody on and. 
it's a really beautiful moment of uh, like com- camaraderie, right? And so uh, that's one of the things I enjoy the most of it for sure. So yeah, but overall, a great event. You know, kudos to the city, Panama City, for hosting a big event. Um, we were wearing our, fir- our face masks during the event. Well, not during the event, but before and after. Mm-hmm. During the event, you, you can't wear a face mask because you can't really breathe with it. And so, but other than that, yeah, I mean, I felt safe. Um, the city city hosted a great event. The police were there blocking the streets. And just a, it's a really well-organized event. And I, you know, just wanted to thank the uh, Panama City Beach community for uh, hosting us uh, once again. Okay. Yeah, so that's uh, my story, and I'm sticking to it. That's excellent. Okay, appreciate that. Um, I got actually a text here, Dr. Will. She's ready to come on a little bit early here. Um, so I think we're going to head to a quick little break. Um, I don't know if you want to stay on or you might have to get some sleep there. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get some sleep. Oh, yeah, sleep, go right ahead. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, Dr. Wills, uh, you know, as everybody knows, she is absolutely fantastic. And uh, I look forward to listening to you guys on the air. Okay, excellent. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, man. No problem. Take care, guys. Take care. All right, that was our regular host, Mr. Joshua Rivera, who's called in and talked about his experience up there in Panama City. So we're going to go to a short break here, and then when we come back, we're going to get with Dr. Wills to talk about uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, which is the month of May. And I'm sure she has some great insights regarding mental health and especially the impact that mental health has had on individuals during COVID-19 and also as we hopefully are coming out of um, this pandemic to some extent. We're, I know no one knows for sure, but we'll be back after a short, quick break. Hey, this is Kwiku. Hey, this is King George. Don't forget to listen to African Safari each and every Tuesday between the hours of 1 to 2 p.m. African Safari brings to you music from the continent of Africa. East, West, North and South and also beyond the borders of Africa where African music have had some influence. Make sure you listen to each and every Tuesday African Safari on WMNF 88.5. This is Mike B. Join me Wednesdays at midnight for Body Rock on WMNF 88.5. You'll hear a hardcore mix of punk, new wave, golf, dance, hip-hop, indie, and anything else we can shove in the mix. What the bleeding now you on about? That's Body Rock. Jump aboard the heavy metal disco train. Leaving the station deep after dark at midnight. Hi there, my name is Adam, but you can call me DJ Hot Wax, host of Chill Electricity, one of the new shows on WMNF, from Monday night midnight to 1 a.m. Tuesdays. Tune in every week to hear an eclectic mix of tunes from genres like electronic, shoegaze, indie pop, chill wave, and all the other subgenres you've never heard of. So feel free to get educated and hear some cool new music, too. If you can't stay up to hear me live, you can always stream Chillectricity on WMNF.org or like the show on Facebook. But until then, this is DJ Hatwax signing out. What up, fam? This is your resident chef, Big Eddie G. Make sure you stop by the Soul Kitchen every Monday night from 8 to 10 p.m. here on 88.5 WMNF. Each week I serve up a heavy portion of the best soul music, blended with a pinch of hip-hop, a little bit of jazz, and a dash of funk. Get your week started off the right way. The Soul Kitchen. Comfort food for your ears.
Hi, I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now! 9 a.m. weekday mornings right here at 88.5 FM. You'll hear the same fearless investigative reporting on topics too hot for the mainstream media. Tune in to Democracy Now! 9 a.m. weekdays right after the morning show. That's right here on WMNF, Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, Lakeland, Clearwater, Winter Haven, and Venice. Welcome back. Oh, yeah, man. How you doing? You good? I know you like that. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. 88.5 WMNF, the Urban Cafe. This is Mr. Jamal Chapman here, filling in for a regular host, Joshua Rivera. And I believe we have, I can hear some rumbling on there, the wonderful Dr. Wills with us here on the line. Dr. Wills, are you here? I am. Hello, Jamal Chapman. It's great to be here with you all. Oh, it's excellent to have you on. It's it's been a little while since I've spoken with you, but everything's been going pretty good for you? Everything's been going good. No complaints. I'm starting to get back out in the world, fully vaccinated. Got my dad fully vaccinated. All is well. Okay, that's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah, because with you, um, like in your workplace and in the in the um, the health arena, I would assume that a lot of people are probably already vaccinated or um, have gone down that route. Would that be a safe assumption to say? I think that's a pretty safe assumption. Um, I've worked in two health systems, both of which are. Uh, uh, one is uh, USF and the other is Johns Hopkins, um, both of whom are at the forefront of getting folks vaccinated um, and getting getting everybody back uh, into the swing of things. So, yeah, I, I would say. Okay, excellent, excellent. So you, you had a surprise for me today because I didn't know, and forgive me, that May was <laughs> Mental Health Month. Half the month is yeah. going by, and I didn't know it was Mental Health Month. Yes, so, we're celebrating yeah. all month. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. Yeah, I see. And, ooh, I see. It's, it's been around since, I didn't even know, 1949? 1949 was when the first Mental Health Awareness Month was celebrated. It was... Um, launched by the advocacy group, the amazing advocacy group, Mental Health America. Um, And the idea was to raise awareness and create lots of campaigns and excitement about mental health um, and making sure that it was just as prominently thought through for all Americans in the same way that physical health was. And I will say, if there's one, I think, for me, silver lining of COVID, it's been that mental health is being talked about so much more um, and being brought so much into the forefront because I think people could relate to it in a Mm -hmm. way that they never could before with COVID on a personal level. Um, And so I think the idea, and I'm just seeing so many Forum, so much openness about people being in therapy. I, I would say that has been one true silver lining of COVID is I feel like mental health is now being talked about and thought about it openly, much more openly mm-hmm. than before. 
Yeah, I think definitely. And I think that the code, I mean, there's some things that have occurred. And, you know, anyone who with, has experience with any of these things, definitely, you know, give us a call, 813-239-9663 to discuss some of these issues. Because, I, you know, when COVID first happened um, and things were shut down here in Florida, we're looking at, you know, roughly a little over a year ago, uh, the biggest thing was, okay, you really can't go out anywhere. You can't see your friends, right? So that was the a mental health challenge there, especially for people who, you know, are very sociable um, in terms of interaction. I, I think to some extent the the younger generation was okay at first because, you know, they used their phones and whatnot. But then you added in the aspect of the virtual school, right? Oh. And then people are at home with their kids and uh, – I. I've realized that if you're not used to being at home with your kid all day for an extended period of time, it can get a little frustrating after time, you know? So I think that was a big mental health aspect. Um, And then we, um, what I want to say, then, well, as COVID progressed, there were, um, and this, I haven't dealt with this situation personally, um, but I have dealt with it from a I guess uh, indirectly is the funerals because that's something that it's hard to even fathom that we would ever have any funerals that we, you know, can attend in person in the grieving process. Yeah. There was the grieving, there was the death, there was the at home, there was the job loss, there was the potential homelessness and eviction. There was the uncertainty of when this was all going to stop and end. I mean, there was so much going on. Um, and, and then you couldn't, like, like blow off steam the way you normally could, right? You couldn't, right. like, get together and hang out or go play basketball or whatever. You couldn't, you couldn't do your normal stuff yeah. to process the energy, you know, the, the emotional stuff. And so I think we all really, um, you know, in a very real, possible way, understood how important it was to find ways to protect and preserve our own individual and our family's own mental well-being. Right. Um, and uh, it was definitely, um, uh, it has been a challenging time, and I think we're all going to end up being stronger because of it. There were studies that showed that during the early phases of the pandemic, um, and there was an increase by 30% of people who were experiencing um, anxiety, symptoms of anxiety, and symptoms of major depression, which are the two most common uh, manifestations of mental illness anyway. So more people, uh, because of the stress, were having symptoms, and that taxed our already strained mental health infrastructure, um, I think if there's anything else, there's probably more people out there that are more interested in going um, to school, broadening the pipeline Mm -hmm. for mental health practitioners. Um, You know, I I see everywhere, you know, Calm apps and um, online therapy opportunities, and people are always hitting me up asking me for uh, therapy referrals. So uh, that's interesting. We're gonna have to, because we, we, I think the phone line. Something you said, doctor, got people excited. 
because people are looking to call here. But something you just said, the online therapies, I definitely going to write that down to get back to later in the show because I okay. didn't even know about that because that's something that, you know, I think that people, if they don't have information on or knowledge about, we definitely can get into that. Um, let's go to the phone lines here real quick to see who we got calling. Uh, caller, state your name and where you're calling from. Hello, caller? Yeah, say, how, how are you doing here? I'm doing good. All right, fine, fine. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, well, well, I, I heard what I, I'm sorry, who is this? Uh, yeah, my, my name is Billy. Oh, Mr. Billy. Thank you for calling in, Billy. Perfect. Well, yeah. great. We... Yeah, because Billy, you, I believe you're you're in. You know, you have some experience in the medical field, so I ask, hope you got some great questions here for Doctor Wills. Go ahead. Well, here's a question I have for Doctor Wills, and it's something that I've been working on for a number of years and those sort of things and stuff, and uh, and in relationship to the COVID situation. First of all, the COVID, the whole COVID situation was mismanaged, and much of the mismanaged by our politicians and when and by people in the media who failed to who tried at first to repress science on this issue uh and made it political in the sense that uh well the virus is not as dangerous this is not a dangerous situation it's a hoax and all sort of thing and people fell into that all right and that further exacerbated by the fact that these uh same people then began to dismiss or ignore the science in this in, in this whole uh, in, in this whole issue and that and you didn't hear from the scientists so it, it was it, it created a a, a, a a tremendous a lot of confusion amongst people who didn't quite understand what was going on the pathology and those sort of things that are happening with this, this disease there's also within science a group of science that has totally exacerbated and totally uh, 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 mismanaged the the handling of how these medications work in terms of mental health. For example, you know, we had, uh, and I don't want I'm Dr. Wise, I'm kind of like, maybe I ask Dr. Wise, is that, for example, you hear now that uh, Dr. Wise will probably tell you that, will likely tell you that Valium has done a lot of good and it's benzodiazepines has done a lot of good in reducing anxiety disorders and that sort of thing. However, when you have media turning around and and, dis- and distorting these are addictive medications and without explaining how addiction works, and that's the kind of stuff that disturbs me. And in the in in this whole area of mental health, because uh, um, and, and in terms of the the medical side, because. There, these are important. These medications are important. They do right. come with side effects, and uh, uh, we should be aware of that, and uh, and and not just use this as a way to to, to prop up opportunities to um, to uh, to to distort to distort facts and get political gain. And there's another person that I need to talk to. One doctor, why has he ever heard of Andrew Kolodny? Well, 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 Billy, Billy, I, I wanted to because I, I know we we only got the doctor uh, for so long. Yeah. I, I, I want to know, did you have like a specific question for Doctor Wills? Right. Okay. Here's my question: Have you ever heard of Andrew Kolodny? Uh, he has worked with the CDC, and he has an organization called Prop uh, Physicians for the the. Uh, he's a psychiatrist for the proper use of opioids. 
and uh, some of the confusion that he is uh, that that some of the controversy behind his opinion and those sort of things. And uh, being that he is a psychiatrist, um, a lot of medical providers there is a group of medical like myself who are simply opposed, uh, simply uh, are challenging his 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 assertions that he's making in terms of mental health and also the medications that are being used for treatment of mental health. You know? I'm and, not uh, familiar. Thanks for the question, Billy. I am not familiar with him. I, I do know that uh, you know the use of medication for mental health issues is primarily reserved for discussions between, you know, the, 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 the patient and the doctor and coming together with a good yeah. treatment plan. There are risks and benefits to every yeah. medication, yeah. Uh, and those really need to be thought through on an individual level to determine what those risks are and what the benefits are and person has to make that decision for themselves. There are, um, like you talked about the class of medication, benzodiazepines, there are definitely good uses for those medications for anxiety. Um, they are habit-forming, and so you have to, again, in an individual way, weigh the risks and the benefits. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, I would never want to make a blanket statement about a class of drugs, right? Um, there's, there's guidelines that help us with prescribing medications in the right clinical scenario for the right patient. And those are, I, I like to empower my patients that make those decisions, be as informed as they can be um, to be able to determine whether or not medications are for them or they're not for them. Well, you know, I know. Let me let me just if I can just say this. Uh, uh, otherwise, I think um, we have to. If people like you have to be prepared. You know, in, in, in this book, to to kind of eliminate some of the distortions that are that have really put people in in in, in people who have mental issues, uh, and most of us do. Okay, in a serious. In a serious spine, and I know you mentioned the word. These are habit forming, and 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 they can be habit forming, but they're also uh, uh, beneficial. But the point the, the point that I, that I'm making is that the guidelines are just that guidelines. Unfortunately, many of our insurance company and even law enforcement has interpreted these as regulations, and they're not regulations. There are guidelines, and you mentioned something that is very important that people need to understand, is that it's based on the individual basis, the disease state of the patient. And that's always missed in stuff, the disease state of the patient and the prescribing uh, uh, physician or therapist that 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 you so eloquently pointed out here. And many times these guidelines are misinterpreted distorted as regulations and stuff. And I think the one other thing, I just want to just point this out to you. Oh, There's an interesting uh, uh, documentary that is uh, on HBO called The Crime of the Century. And in fact, it is a total, by Alice Gidney, and, and in my opinion, it's a total distortion of the truth and misrepresentation of pharmaceutical medications. And even the people talk about the Sackler family. I mean, uh, oh, they're devils and all that kind of, But you know, 
when you look at what this family has done in terms of, uh, the, particularly in the Bendaizopine area and how they, uh, we would have electroshock therapy, then that needs to be properly discussed and not put on a distortion of, uh, of folks becoming uh, addicted. And addiction itself is a disease state that needs to be treated and not wage war upon. Okay. People who yes, are sir. addicted are, 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 are need treatment. And what we've done is we've just created a yeah. war on them and by the yeah. war on drugs. And that's yes, sir, Billy. To, to we, today. Thank you okay. so much. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate Thanks, that. Sir. Okay. All right. So we had Billy there. Um, and Dr. Woods, we got another caller who's been patiently waiting. I'm going to put them on okay, the great. air here. All right. Uh, caller, uh, please state your name and where you're calling from. Yes, uh, this is Daryl. I'm calling from Tampa. I'd like to say good morning to you. And, good morning, uh, sir. The doctor, I didn't catch her name. Oh, yeah, this Dr. is Dr. Marquita Wills. Wills. Yes, sir. Dr. Wills, I just want to simply state, um, I, I believe, I, I didn't catch the beginning of the show, but I believe what you're talking about, uh, to me, and I hope y'all can understand, I don't understand why this is a mental issue problem, because it's like this is, I see this as, as um, plain old stubbornness, rebelliousness, and um, people who don't want to conform to the norm. What do I mean? Uh, that I guess that would be my question to you, and I just want to attach this on to the well, question. Well, well Darrell, let, let me just, I just wanted to interject here, because uh, May is, is, is a mental uh, health awareness month, gotcha. and we were just kind of talking about mental health and different issues with COVID. So I, I, I was trying to understand exactly uh, uh, your point because you... If you this, this, okay. this is my point. This is my point. Uh, we have traffic laws. Right. You, you're not supposed to be able to drive any way you want, drive as fast as you want, mm. uh, blow through intersections that you want. Now, the Tampa's introduced uh, roundabouts, okay, but four-way stop, and there are laws for you to do that. Not only to protect the other people, it's to protect you, okay, and that you would not be a hazard. Um, we had a disease that was deadly, that it was just killing people like flies, okay, mm -hmm. and they were doing the best that they can based upon leadership that was in the absentia to try to save people's lives. Right. Now, it's got to a point where you couldn't do what you used to would do. You had to wear a mask. That's the best that they knew how to do to try to save this. And I just, that's my question, doctor. Isn't it just boiled down to just plain old stubbornness and rebelliousness and people who don't want to conform? And it really is just bringing out what, what, what is the problem with Americans. I don't live in any other country, so I can't talk about them, France or Belgium or anybody, but I live here. And people, they don't want to, even to the point where it's gotten political i mean we had it why is that mentally mm. is that mentally messed up you wouldn't come to me if i was your patient and say well, daryl you can't drive any way you want to you can't speed any way you want to. you got laws in, in, in it it used to be a time and i'm finna hang up finna hang up there used to be a time i'm a child of the 60s where you didn't were not mandated to wear a seat belt until somebody had the idea oh they messed it up to calculate, because we used to have a lot of traffic fatalities and people dying and stuff. 
well, maybe we need to pass a law to mandate people to wear seatbelts. And there was a lot mm. of push, pushback behind that. But then he conformed to wear it. Then here comes along, I think it was Jimmy Carter. You don't need to be driving 70 miles per hour and up on the highway. We want to regulate the thing down to 55 or 65 miles per hour. There was a lot of pushback to that, but then people conformed, okay? I guess that's my question. Is it, is it really something that mentally, a mental thing that should be added to that, or is it just a thing that uh, people don't want to conform and it's just plain old stubbornness and rebelliousness? Now, Dare, I, w- I, I want to ask, thank you very much. Um, I want to ask you real quick, are, are, you, are you mainly talking about, I guess, how people are, um, are driving during uh, just with COVID, or if there's been have there's been some incidences or different things which is which have prompted you, you know, to to have this um, this no, feeling, well, or is I was using I was using traffic laws and driving as an example. Uh, example, I, I because get it. in the sixties, I see. You were not mandated to wear a mm. belt until somebody did a study. Mm-hmm. Why are so many people dying in, in, in auto crashes and stuff like that? Then they decided through the legislature to mandate people wearing seatbelts. You got pushback for that. Then the 70s came along, and then you had another president. I think it was Jimmy Carter. You shouldn't have to be driving. You don't need to be driving 70 miles per hour. We want to mandate nationally to bring the speed limit down. I think it was 65 miles per hour, and in some places it was 55 miles per hour. You got a pushback to that. So... People who say, I don't think I should have to drive that way. Is that really just a mental aspect or really it's just a thing of plain old stubbornness and rebelliousness and people who don't want to conform? And I, I understand this thing about, it's like this, Coach, I think you should eat this way and you should eat that way and like that, and I think they should govern it and legislate stuff like I can understand you pushing back like they're saying, listen, I'm grown. You shouldn't have to mandate and legislate my life some things shouldn't have to be legislated. I understand that. I can understand a pushback for that. But this was a disease, Coach, that if I was around you and I had it and I was symptomatic, I could cause you to die, okay? Cause you to die. Right. All right? Yeah. That means I need to, or like with a man with a, 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 a lady, when we had the AIDS epidemic, there was a time, I think it was in the 80s or whatever, we got tired of this stuff and it said, look, you need to practice protected sex. If you don't, some states, I believe, you could be, if you had that relationship with a person, you could be considered as, like, murder because you deliberately did something like that. It, it's a thing of con- conformity. Uh, stop your stubbornness and being rebellious, okay? Do we need to really bring the doctor in about stuff like this? No, it's my thing about being, is Daryl being stubborn, rebellious, and nonconformity for a time and a season? That, that's all I had to say, guys. Okay, thanks. Thank you, Daryl. That's, that's very, that's very, whew, that's intense. Um Doctor, I guess you can give your your best stab at that. Well, you know, I uh, it's interesting um, 
just thinking about um, how we all react to stress. Um, and uh, for some people, it was easier to um, go into a denial reaction about the, the stress. Um, and to, um, you know, that was their defense mechanism for handling it, is just to say, there's not an issue. And that was the way that they needed to cope with it. So, you know, we all have different defense mechanisms, um, and some of them work, some of them don't. Um, sometimes it keeps people safe to use denial as a um, and other people, um, you know, want to uh, not be in denial about things. So, um, you know, we're all built different, um, and, you know, we all have different ways of responding to the same stressors. Um, so uh, it's, it's an interesting question and an interesting uh, uh, framing of that, and I appreciate the, the question. Yes, it is. And I, now I see, <clears throat> I'm, I'm sorry, listeners, I appeared a little slow at first there. I was looking at the traffic situation, but I see how he was comparing that too with COVID. And then uh, w- with that, Dr. Wills, I would like to ask then, I, I think would there be, is there kind of some mental health um I guess, issues with, like, I guess people thinking in the herd mentality, or even if there's things such as people belong to, uh, let's say, certain organizations, certain churches, because I've heard that, you know, there's some communities that they, they're fighting against, let's say, the vaccination. Of course, I mean, we, we could go Democrat, Republican here as well um, to a, a certain extent, but... Um, would that have that has to do something with mental health, doesn't it? Well, I mean, you know, we all have uh, belief systems, um, and we're all entitled to our belief belief system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and everyone is 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 entitled to their belief system. Right. The the, the issue, you know, for those people who want to believe different things, you know, we're all entitled to that. But the question about uh, how it turns into, you know, me- mental issues or mental issues then becomes a really delicate one because it, it's really about, is it causing that person distress? So if it's aligned with what they believe and it's working for them, then you can't really say that there's a mental health issue, um, you know, if they're doing good and functioning or not, because that's one of the main things about mental health is it's are you functioning in a way that supports your optimal life? Are you sleeping okay? Are you working okay? Are you interpersonally acting with people okay? But if you are and you're in a bubble of people who, kind of believe and think as you do, um, it's hard for me to say that you, your belief system is just different than mm-hmm. others, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have a mental health issue. 
So mm-hmm. I want to be clear about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mental health issues can happen to people on any side of the aisle. You know, you don't have to be Republican or Democrat or anything like that. It can strike any one of us. Um, it's not for rich or for poor or for famous or for not famous or anything. It can strike any one of us. Um, and so, you know, well, we want to be careful not to characterize right. belief as mental illness. Okay, excellent. Yeah, because I, I, we have a, another caller, and caller will get to you shortly. Um, I, and I did want to ask a follow-up question to you about that, because um, in your experience, when you mentioned stress, because I'm thinking about um, during COVID, I, I can only imagine that our politicians were under quite a bit of stress um, and whatnot. Do, do you have any experience working with politicians, or do you have any knowledge of what they do regarding mental health? Like, do they speak with therapists usually? I wonder how that works. Um, you know, yes. Uh, I, I don't particularly have um, a specific uh, illness on that, but, you know, politicians do have therapists, um, and they do have opportunities to process through their thoughts, feelings, and emotions just like everyone else. Um, and so, you know, they, they, they definitely, um, you know, if they are in need of support, um, it, you know, certainly uh, are able to seek the services of someone who um, is uh, uh, licensed to provide those kinds of services. And they can rest assured um, that their, their conversations are confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, therapy is something that is protected. Um, it's a, much like a, a legal relationship is protected. The therapeutic re- uh, relationship is protected. There are only a couple of reasons or areas where people would need to go outside of that. And that's if a therapist believes that the person is in, at risk of harm to themselves or others. And that would be a time when they would need to... Um, or uh, notify or alert someone, authorities of any concern. Okay. Um, but otherwise, those are protected relationships, and yes, politicians do seek therapy. Okay. Now, I wanted to um, ask you, and we'll get to the callers. We got a couple of them in a few minutes here. That's 813-239-9663. Well, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll save this after the NPR break. I wanted to get into the online therapies, but I'll save that okay. for after the N- NPR break. Um, but just kind of real quick, why do we, I guess, need or why do we have a, a mental health awareness month? Well, that's a great question. I think... Uh, Things are changing, uh, but it's still really important to have one. And that's because of stigma. Stigma. Hmm. Stigma against mental illness. There's been a lot of historic downplaying of the importance of mental illness. People confuse mental illness with, oh, you're not strong, or, oh, you just don't have willpower, or, oh, you know, you're crazy. And so mental health awareness month was created to be able to combat that stigma and to give people an opportunity to um, be fit, have a safe way of talking about uh, mental health issues. And so it really is the historic stigma of mental illness that caused the need for the establishment of a mental health awareness month. Mm, 
Okay. Good question. Okay, excellent. All right, well, we've got another caller here we're going to get to. Uh, caller, please state your name, and thank you very much for waiting, and state your name and where you're calling from. Hello? Hi, you got me now. Good morning. This is Chris Steiner. In yes. Good morning, Mr. Steiner. Hi. Hi. Uh, yeah, I have so much to say. I'll try to keep it brief. So, yeah, we briefly. got an NPR break in a few minutes, but thank you for calling in. And yes, sir. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I have a psychiatric medications often provoke violence blog. If you'd like to check it out, okay. with a lot of doctors, a lot of research, and a lot of links uh, at theliberationstation.com under the blog section. Okay. And um, I really encourage folks to look at that. Of course, and there's also a, a mood-lifting, brain-boosting blog for nutritional supplements and herbs. Uh, oh, that nice. <clears throat> might be good alternatives for some. Um, and on the subject of mental health, a lot uh, was mentioned in this past week in regards to COVID-19 as well uh, on the High Wire at thehighwire.com. And I'll just give you some of the information from it. But to answer Daryl's question... Along these lines is that um, I would like to see everyone agree at this point in history that we need the government's central reporting system for vaccine adverse events to become mandatory report to require mandatory reporting by doctors because often they're reluctant and the patient's reports are therefore rejected. And this has been called for, and as well as many other reforms to what's called that database is called VAERS, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. In national news coverage now for decades, uh, these reforms have been called for by people like Barbara Lowe Fisher at National Vaccine Information Center and VIC.org. And in more recent years by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., childrenshealthdefense.org. And there is a lot of research that um, I would like to see one point discredited on what they have to say, because they've been saying it for years. And, of course, the people in the establishment, even vaccine manufacturers, agree. Some vaccine developers have agreed with uh, Barbara Lowe Fisher. It's uh, very encouraging. Um, when it comes to Pfizer's reporting on their, uh, on their experimental shot, of course, 2023, the experiment ends. And according to their experiment on adolescents, uh, there's 2,260 adolescents enrolled. 1,131 got the shot. And of those, 18 in the placebo group group um, uh, got COVID, zero in the experiment. Um, but the, like I say, I'm, this is their reporting, so I'm not trusting it. But despite that, they reported four cases of psychiatric disorders, including three of depression, one anxiety, one suicidal ideation, uh, plus um, one case of neuralgia, and one with GI problems that were abdominal pain and constipation. And so that's a very small study group, bear in mind. And also, um, the American Academy of Pediatrics, states uh, their state-level reporting on all COVID-19 cases says that uh, 0.3% of children who got COVID resulted in death. So they really have not much risk, and they're not part of the, the study group of, you know, below. Now, now they're allowing 12-year-olds, and the study group only allowed uh, up to uh, down to 15-year-olds. And, and um, you know, also the New York Times this past May 11th, uh, there's so many news reports that go along these lines, but 
I think it's impressive if you check out the title, A Misleading CDC Number. We have a special edition of the newsletter on a misleading CDC statistic by David Leonhardt, May 11th. And the CDC says that less than 10% transmission is outdoors. Well, from quoting the article, to quote that benchmark, quote, seems to be a huge exaggeration, end quote, as Dr. Muge Sevic, a virologist at the University of St. Andrews, said, in truth, the share of transmission that has occurred outdoors seems to be below 1% and maybe below 0.1%. Multiple epidemiologists told me the rare outdoor transmission that has happened almost all seems to have involved crowded places or close conversation. And saying that less than 10% of COVID transmission occurs outdoors is akin to saying that sharks attack fewer than 20,000 swimmers a year. The actual worldwide number is around 150. It's both true and deceiving. If you read the read the academic research that the CDC has cited in defense of the 10% benchmark, you will notice something strange. A very large share of supposed cases of outdoor transmission have occurred in a single setting, construction sites in Singapore. And so the CDC cites their defense, two studies, the New York Times is referring to, of just uh, outdoor, all the only outdoor infections were in Singapore in these two studies. Kind of fishy. And you know, we always knew that the biggest, uh, I would tell Daryl, the biggest hesitancy I have is that now that people have gotten vaccines, these so-called vaccines, are silent spreaders. And they knew that. Moderna admits it in the Daily Express article. Uh, their chief scientist, Cal Zaks, told, said that. They have no data to determine if their vaccine stops people from spreading the deadly pathogen. And so we have asymptomatic spreaders caused by people who got these shots. And that's what I'm afraid of. I'm not stubborn, okay, Daryl? I want you to do your research. Okay. Thank you very much and, for that. Do you, you find it also suspicious that CDC, in the last two weeks, on the breakthrough cases mm -hmm. of people who got COVID after vaccine, so-called vaccine, that they're not reporting any of the taking recording or reporting any of the cases except what? hospitalizations or deaths? They don't okay. care about us. And I think there's, a, there's so many cases like this, but I'll just let you go unless you have some questions or comments. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that was a lot there. I mean, we got to do, I'm going to do some more research on that to get um, to the bottom of that, but I really appreciate your comments and, and whatnot. Thank you very much. And the doctor. All right. I, I just don't want to, I'm avoiding transfection, and I want to stay away from people who have gotten the shot. And uh, I have good reasons, too. So if you want to self-segregate, that's fine with me. All right? Take great care. Okay. Thank you very much, Chris. Okay. And Dr. Wills, you're still there? Yep. Okay. Still here. Do, do you still have anything here. anything to, to add to Chris's no. comments before we go to the NPR break? No. No, no comment. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, that was that was kind of a, uh, a touchy subject, kind of lengthy, that um, I think that I think, well, we, we're going to have to have some shows which focus on some comments that our callers have because uh, there was a lot to unpack there. We just aren't able to go through all that. But I definitely have the information, Mr. Steiner, and we'll look to get into that and, um, you know, get back to you on that yeah. as well. Like I'm sure he's a regular caller, great caller, so I'm sure he'll be calling in in the future and we can have further discussions about that. So that's excellent. Well, phone number here is 813-239-9663.
We have another caller on the line. Caller, we'll get to you after the NPR break in a few minutes. Um, so, Dr. Wills, where we come back from the break, we'll be um, talking about the um, the online therapies a little bit, you know, as well, so we can get into that. Um, one, one quick question I had for you was re- regarding the um, the mental health um, month. Are there different things that I guess like that you do at your workplace or different events you know that are going around Tampa Bay, which people can look out for? Yes, um, on uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, there's lots of walks uh, for various organizations. So uh, generally speaking, uh, the National Alliance for Mental Illness, NAMI here with Royal County, um, has a lot of things going on on their uh, website to celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and to decrease stigma. Um, I don't know of any specific events going on here in Tampa Bay. but go on NAMI's website to look for opportunities to learn more. Um, so, in NAMI, that's the National Institute of Health of Mental Health, correct? National Alliance on Mental Illness is what it's called. Oh, National it's Alliance back in the okay. 60s by two mothers oh, um, wow. who had sons with schizophrenia, um, and they were looking for support, and they created the group, and it's now one of the largest grassroots advocacy organization um, to support those and the families of those who have mental illness. Okay. Great organization. Okay, excellent. Is there anything particular that you um, do, I guess, with like with work for mental health? I could, yeah, for, thank yeah you. on Mental Health Awareness Month, we, um, at my job, we do a lot of internal campaigns. Um, we definitely have people who are willing to speak about their experiences, share um, about their experiences to decrease stigma. Um, we do a lot at the, at the job to uh, make sure that our physical health uh, counterparts are aware of the resources that are available in the community. Um, mm-hmm. So lots of different things going on uh, 